You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture lesson today is from Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, Let there be light, and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. God said, Let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome, and it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. There was evening, and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the sky come together in one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth and he named the gathered waters seas. God saw how good it was. God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit, trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. There was evening, and there was morning the third day. God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will mark events, sacred seasons, days, and years. They will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars and the two great lights, the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with living things and let birds fly above the earth up in the dome of the sky. God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swam in the waters, each according to its kind, and all the winged birds, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. God said, Let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, Let us make humanity in our image, to resemble us, so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. 
God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants of the earth that yield seeds, and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food. To all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he made, and it was supremely good. There was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the beginning. Beginning. It's a good place to start. And it's an especially good place for us to start in this walk through Scripture. But we need to prepare for our walk. And we need to first figure out what it is we're reading and why we're reading it, why we're spending a year in this project. Why Scripture? Sola Scriptura was the cry of the Protestant Reformation. Um, Sola Scriptura. Only Scripture. Only Scripture was necessary to form one's faith. To learn about your faith, go to Scripture. John Wesley, the founder of our Methodist denomination, followed that tradition of Sola Scriptura. He declared that he was a man of one book. Now, that book was the Holy Bible. John Wesley had many books. He wrote a few himself. He studied deeply. He studied the patristics, the, those who were writing in the first few centuries of the Christian faith. He studied those who were writing contemporaneously with him. He read a lot of books. But he was a man of one book. So what did he mean by that? It was simply that through Scripture one had all one needed to be saved. The Bible is the sacred canon of a Christian people. And as our United Methodist Articles of Religion puts it, in words that would be approved by John Wesley, the Bible is the source of all that is necessary and sufficient unto salvation. As the primary source and measure of our Christian doctrines, Scripture serves as the source of our faith and as the basic criterion for testing the truth and fidelity of the interpretations of faith. It's through the faithful reading of Scripture that we may come to know the truth of the biblical message and its bearing on our own lives and on the life of the world. Now, Scripture gives us what's necessary for salvation, not what's necessary for science or for medicine, for biology or chemistry. It's not a science book. It is a book of faith. And that means how we read the Bible is important. 
The Bible is a wonderfully complex, maddening library of various literary forms, of narratives, of poetry, of song, and prayer. And it was written over the course of some 3,000 years. And it was written in a different place and a different time than today. And each of its pieces being written for a different audience in a different time. As Professor Bruce Metzger, a noted Bible expert, says it, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And, and that presents a problem of how we can faithfully read the Word of God and use it in our own lives and in the life of the world when it wasn't written to us. Our United Methodist approach to Scripture recognizes this and makes clear that we're to interpret individual texts in light of their context, in light of the Scripture as a whole. And we're to read Scripture in its context as the story of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now for us United Methodists, that means that our attempts to grasp the meaning of Scripture always involves our tradition, our reason, our experiences. And for that to work, we also need to be prayerfully aware of and inviting of the Holy Spirit. And two, also in our Methodist tradition, to read our Scripture and talk to each other about it, to read it together in holy conferencing. And that way we can help each other to understand and apply and live into these sacred and often confusing and troublesome texts. So with all that as a preface, let's begin at the beginning. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's how most translations of Genesis start out. Verse 1, chapter 1, it was in our reading today from Pastor Sarah. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this was language translated from ancient Hebrew. And we should know that what we have here is one way to translate that Hebrew. A more literal translation of those Hebrew words for the first sentence, and sometimes given in our study Bibles, is when God began to create period. No object, no heavens and earth. Read that way, when God began to create, we, we have a God working in the present tense rather than when God created in the past tense. That can give us a different picture. In changing created into create, we get a God that's in the process of creating. And we get a sense of creation as being a process. And one that's not limited to heavens and earth, but is unbounded, unlimited. One that can take into account all creation, all matter. For example, not just of humans, but of love. Not just of rocks and mountains, but of rainbows. And there's that part a little bit further on about God resting on the seventh day. Now, it turns out that that can only be the roughest translation because the Hebrew in that area is very difficult, apparently, to translate. I don't read it myself, so I rely on the experts, Nis from the Jewish um, scholars, that they read this as rather God 
ceased all his work that God created to do. Some Hebrew scholars have have said that with this, what Scripture means is that God has the creating and has moved it over to humankind to create. Oh, and that part about God resting on the seventh day, I have to be um, a little careful there because the resting, the word used there, is the same resting that we find in the Exodus where God comes down to the tabernacle made by Moses and rests as in bringing his presence. So God resting in the Sabbath is God bringing his presence into creation. So there's an important lesson here that we need to always remember that our scripture comes to us in a translation. And it comes to us by translators who read the language, whether it's ancient Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, as we'll find in the New Testament. They read that language through their own experiences and learning and, and yes, their own prejudices. We need to be open to these alternative readings. Now, it doesn't necessarily make one reading or interpretation or translation wrong and another one better or right, but rather it can open us up to other ways of seeing the deepness and richness of Scripture and our experiences with Scripture. Let's continue in this this Genesis move a little bit beyond today's scripture, what Pastor Sarah has read for us, I want to pick up the story right after that verses 1 to chapter 2, verse 4. And I'll use also the common English Bible translation that Pastor Sarah used. And we move now into the next section. Before any wild plants appeared on the earth and before any field crops grew, because the Lord God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth, and there was still no human being to farm the fertile land, though a stream rose from the earth and watered all of the fertile land. The Lord formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils. The human came to life. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and put there the human he had formed. In the fertile land, the Lord God grew every beautiful tree with edible fruit, And also he grew the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now I'll skip a little bit. It's a part where where scripture talks about the four rivers and skip down to this. The Lord took the human and settled him in the garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the human, eat your fill from all the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because on the day you eat from it, you will die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. The human gave each living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But a helper perfect for him was nowhere to be found. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, This one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
She will be called woman because from a man she was taken. Now there's no way around it, but what we just heard, most of chapter 2 of Genesis, is a completely different creation story than we heard in chapter 1. Here, the human comes very early in the beginning of the creation, before the trees and plants and animals. And in the first creation story, the human comes last. Now, does this mean the Bible's wrong or in error? No. Did the ancient scribes screw up here? Do we need some convoluted interpretations to try to mesh these two together into one coherent story? Or do we just ignore those contradictions? No, we don't have to do any of that, nor should we. We should not ignore what seem to be contradictions. The basic question to ask here in this is, why do we have two different creation stories? Why is it important for our scripture to have two different ways of telling what we're doing here? We begin by asking, what does this passage tell us that's different from the first creation story? Now, there's many ways to approach this, but we'll just take a look at humankind in these two stories. In the first, what Pastor Sarah read, we have, as Brian McLaren points out, the miracle of being alive. We have the story of God's self-expression and the declaration that it is good. And we have God's declaration that all matter is good. And that includes us humans. For that matter, in the first story, we're created in God's image and likeness, and we are blessed by God. And after humankind is created, God can declare that all creation is very good. Creation begins in chaos and ends with us. Now, in Genesis 2, we begin to learn, as Brian McLaren writes, what it means to be human. First, it means to be made both of creation from the topsoil of the fertile land and from the divine and blew life's breath into his nostrils. It's only then as both that the human came into life. As one of my seminary teachers puts it, we do not just have bodies. We are bodies and we are embodying Christ's breath, Jesus, uh, God's breath with that Christ's breath. In Genesis 2-7, God breathes into Adam the breath of life and Adam becomes a living body and being. We're unified in matter and spirit. And about that rib thing, with the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. That word rib does not mean that a woman is somehow less than a man or otherwise deficient or not made in the image or likeness of God. We need to read our creation stories together what it teaches us about being human. And it might help to know that the Hebrew word kasla, which is the word for rib in this context, can mean both an anatomical term, which includes not just bone, but flesh as well. But it also means an architectural term as to that which is necessary for support, like the ribs of a building or of a structure. And the Hebrew words there are words that mean God having built, that is, constructed the woman, far from just fashioning. 
It is God's work embodied in woman. In chapter 2, we see humankind becoming self-aware as Adam in that beautiful, fantastic poetry first sees woman and declares on seeing that woman a female. Also, though, there's a hint of maybe trouble to come because Adam talks about her, but he does not talk to her. We see in this humankind challenged with responsibility, responsibility to creation and responsibility for creation. In the coming months, we'll see just what that responsibility is meant to be and how, as Christians, we're to live it out. Amen.